0: I'm Jonathan Capehart and welcome to Capehart. This week, rather than a new episode of Capehart, we're listening into a conversation between three of my opinion columnist colleagues, Shadi Hamid, Alyssa Rosenberg, and Jason Rezayan, as they discuss both the national and personal dimensions of the Israel-Gaza war. It's a timely and powerful conversation about why this conflict has hit the emotional core of so many Americans and explores what role the United States should play as the war continues.
1: Could we start by introducing ourselves? Yeah, hi, I'm Shadi Hamid.
2: I'm Alyssa Rosenberg.
0: And I'm Jason Rezaian. We're all columnists here at the Washington Post. And like many of you, we've all been watching the devastating war in the Middle East over the last hundred plus days. This war is all over the news, all over our social media feeds, and often in our conversations with our friends and family. Opinions on the topic are strong. This war and America's unflinching support for it has caused fights around kitchen tables and editorial boardrooms around the country. Today, we want to get personal and talk about if America's support of Israel in this conflict has changed people's feelings about the U.S. and about American ideals. Uh, Shadi, I want to start with you. What's your initial reaction to that question? Has this impacted your feelings about America?
1: Yeah, it has. Um, So I've traditionally been pretty hawkish on foreign policy. I believe in America's role in the world. And I think that the U.S. has been on balance, a force for good, um, for all of our faults and all the bad things that we've done in various regions, particularly during the Cold War. Um, the dominance of the U.S. has coincided with an expansion of democracies across the globe, or reduction in battlefield deaths, decline in interstate war. So that's something that I've generally argued. But now I'm sort of in a position where I don't feel as comfortable making the case to people that America is good. Um, I still think that, but I think the case has been complicated And especially if I'm talking to fellow Arab or Muslim Americans or people who live in the global south, I just don't know if I can in good conscience make the case for American hegemony. And part of that is because I don't think this is just about Israel, Palestine. I actually think what's going on in Gaza is a proxy for a deeper set of issues, including Um, International law, double standards, civilizational divides, the West versus the rest. So I think that I'm I am really struggling with some of these questions.
0: Alyssa, what about you?
2: Um, Can I actually ask Shadi a question first before I answer? Um, Because I'm not someone who writes about foreign policy. But just listening to you talk um, made me curious about something. How are you, I guess, untangling what the U.S. is doing right now and what Israel is doing right now. And, I mean, do you distinguish those? Is it a matter of seeing the U.S. as, you know, uncritical in its provision of arms for Israel? Is it seeing the U.S. as, you know, ineffective in encouraging Israel to conduct the war in a different way? Is it sort of uh, undue deference to Netanyahu? What's, Yeah. Hmm. how do you untangle that?
1: It's a great question. I would say it's a mix of those things. Um, at some level, I've, I understand where Israelis are coming from on this and what is, the Israeli government is doing there in a kind of um, mode of retribution because of just the horrific scale of what Hamas did on October 7th. And I get that. And I think Israelis are acting in a kind of expected way. What I'm more frustrated about is the U.S. response, because I think it's our job with close allies to say, listen, guys, we can't be on board with this. You're going too far. There have to be limitations on how you actually bomb such a densely populated territory as the Gaza Strip. Our interests are not the same as Israel's. And the U.S. is a democracy. I think it's um, it is. I would say maybe I'm biased in this regard, the greatest democracy, maybe in history. Let's say that even. So I I hold I hold the U.S. to a higher standard. It is is also my country. So, you know, I feel like I have some kind of ownership over what America is and what it should be. And at some level, I think what bothers me isn't just the policy uh, of not putting pressure on Netanyahu or not constraining the Israelis. I think it's that Biden and other senior U.S. officials don't seem to talk about Palestinians with much sympathy as if they're fully equal human beings. Um, it's It shouldn't be that hard to talk about this in a certain way. You can be pro-Israel, but also, I hope, talk about Palestinians as if they're deserving of dignity. And I think this administration has not done a good job of it. And just the last thing I'll say... Is I think there's something to be said for um pretense. So even if we're gonna be full throatedly behind Israel, I want us to at least pretend that we're kind of balanced, just just perform a little bit. And America has always been good at acting, even if its policies suck. And there's you know, there's there's something positive about that in the sense that the famous saying that hypocrisy is the homage that virtue. That virtue pays to vice. That it, if you're doing something bad, you should at least feel guilty about it and not be so open about the badness. Um, but I think what's weird here is that the U.S. isn't even really pretending in the way that I've I've come to expect it.
2: It sounds like it makes you feel lonely,
1: mm.
0: and yeah.
2: it, it, you know. I feel like my response to October 7th and everything that's followed has been sort of more personal than nationalistic. Um, And I want to be really sort of clear going into this conversation. You know, my husband and I are sort of secular cultural Jews. Uh, We're both the children of lapsed Catholic mothers, atheist Jewish fathers. Neither of us was raised going to shul by a lot of people's standards. We wouldn't count as Jewish, um, even though... That's you know sort of how we underst- understand ourselves, our sort of cultural identity as a family. And so I really, really don't want to put myself in the position of speaking for other American Jews um, who I think are having a huge range of responses. But I do I, th- I think the initial attacks themselves were v- disorienting for us, and so was, the very initial response by some people on the left in the US. Mm. Um, you know, we have friends who gave us a really beautiful mezuzah when we got married and we never hung it up. You know, I think my husband felt some reticence. And after the attacks and after the very initial response, he's like, okay, we're putting it on the, you know, we're putting it on the lintel of the door. And so, you know, on some level, the, sort of minimization of suffering in Israel, um, the use of language in support of Palestinians that is, you know, dismissive of Jews of Israel's right to self-defense, um, the sort of, you know, nonpartisan fault lines that have opened up just, and again, you know, you're talking about the way that the administration speaks about Palestinians, you know, the sort of conflation of Israel and Jews. And it's, it's just been disorienting. Um, but a lot of what I write about is children and and kids and families. And so I think it rather than changing my feelings about America necessarily, I have found myself thinking about the world's children as a kind of stateless people to a certain extent. Mm. I think a lot about how kids are invoked in policy, but their needs are not prioritized. And um, I think, you know, as a parent, I have young kids. My kids are five and two. And so, you know, when I'm reading about a baby with a traumatic amputation, when I'm reading about a five-year-old who, you know, wasn't bathed for 50 days and came home just covered in lice, I feel this just, you know, this agony over it. And, you know, I don't know that that leads me to a simple nationalist place or a place of believing in one sort of political solution, but the sort of obscenity of what has happened to children in this conflict is something that I find really overwhelming and that I'm still trying to Integrate into something I can write about in a coherent way or think about in a coherent way.
0: I have been thinking a lot about that as well. And I just think to me, it, a lot of it is um, the loss of our basic humanity uh, and how we look at these things and um, the demand by a lot of people on social media and other spaces uh, for individuals to take one side or the other publicly. Um, as someone who writes about hostage issues and has my own personal experience with that, uh, I came out very quickly to say, this is not a thing to do. And uh, of course, uh, Hamas's, um, assault, attack, barbarism on October 7th is indefensible. And it, can be also true that the scale of the response is completely indefensible. Um, And what scares me about how this might have changed America or the world um, or is an indication of how we're changing is you're not really allowed to hold those two conflicting thoughts anymore. Right. And that is a huge problem for the democracy that you love, Shadi, and that I love. Right.
2: I love to. I love democracy too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that we all love, right? That we all, but you know, there there needs to be able to be a space for uh both of those uh things to be true and for people in power to be able to stand up and say that. Israel and Palestine have been at war many times before. I wonder what's different now. Is it is it this sort of divisiveness and one dimensional thinking that we've been sort of forced into by our news and media silos, or is it something else?
2: I mean, do you think it's also who the leadership in Israel is? Does that make the U.S.'s ability to intervene in a constructive way here different? I'm genuinely asking. I don't, I don't know as well as either of you do. Yeah,
1: I think part of this is that the Israeli government does have far-right members, and it is— It is a particular kind of government that seems to have a very unyielding approach to not just to Gazans, but to the idea of any kind of two state solution. I mean, it's quite well documented that um, Benjamin Netanyahu has not been, let's say, an enthusiastic advocate of a two state solution is actually undermined and and, th- and tried to thwart a Palestinian state for many years now. And that's to say nothing of the far-right members of his cabinet who support openly ethnic cleansing. So I think that's... Or, cer-
2: yeah, or the settlers who are excited settlers, to get their hands on Gaza. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. But I think, you know, for me, though, I, I would say it really comes down to the scale of the killing and also just the sheer number of internally displaced. I mean, we're talking about more than um 85% of gaza's population uh forced to leave their homes in a kind of state of suspension not knowing when or how they'll be able to return or if or if exactly um and I, so it, i think but i will say just there is a personal element too I think um, it may not be clear to people who are listening just based on my name, but um, it is relevant. You know, I am I am Arab. I am Muslim. And I think that all of us come into this or a lot of us come into this with some kind of personal element. And we can't pretend that we can look at this conflict and be 100 percent objective or dispassionate. Um, I'm not Palestinian, but, you know, being Arab can't help but affect how I view um, the Palestinian cause more generally um, and how that's tied to broader debates in the Middle East and and has been for a very long time. One might even say that the Palestinian, the Palestinian issue is part of the Arab self-definition, that it's something that we grow up hearing about over the dinner table. It's something that's cited as a kind of wound um, as something that represents the Arab world's precipitous decline and fall from grace that we used, to, you know, we were once this great civilization, but now we're either subjugated by our own governments or by other governments. There's an occupation um, in, in the West Bank and Gaza. So those things do matter. And there is also a kind of you know, I wouldn't want to overstate this, but a kind of religious resonance, too, for Muslims across the globe. So, you know, that's what sometimes makes me feel like I'm in in this in-between situation where I am a kind of patriotic um, American. One might even say nationalistic in ways that I've been criticized for, you know. But at the same time, my Arab and Muslim identity is important to me. I want to talk yeah.
0: on that just a little bit with Alyssa, mm-hmm. you know. We're all Americans here. Yeah. I mean, how is this personal for us as Americans? Right. Um, And to me, my confidence in in what we stand for. I mean, Israel, Saudi Arabia, these are countries that we support, but they're ultimately client states.
2: Mm. And they
0: are sort of um, leading the way on how we act to these situations. And I feel there's a bit of a loss of power and oomph. Um, And I wonder if it's rattled your confidence or made you felt different about how we look at the world and how we see ourselves in the world.
2: Yeah. Part of what the last couple months have crystallized for me, and I'm not sure that I would have put it this way before you asked that question, is, you know, all of us are in a position where our right to think of ourselves as Americans first, I think, is not always something that we can assume, Right. Um, I mean, part of what was, you know, kind of crystallizing for me on October 7th is that, you know, my husband and I are members in good standing of the left and, you know, I think have choked down for a long time a lot of the anti-Semitism that is directed at us. Right. I mean, if I get hate mail, it's either like you're ugly or you're like you're Jewish. Right. It's those sort of are the two. Those are the two go-tos. <laughs> and when someone uses anti-Semitism as a weapon against me, they're saying that, you know, your Jewishness is the most important thing about you, right? Like that that takes primacy over any expertise, experience you might have. But it's also asserting that my religious identity is more important than any other facet of my identity, including as an American, right? And I, I have to imagine that that's something that you both have experienced as well.
0: I've been experiencing it, you know, since September 11th regularly. Um, It's been a a constant in my life since then. And that's not what this country was about. And although those trends always existed for different groups in society, the dominant idea that, but at the end of the day, you're American, always won, I don't think it's winning anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah. So... (sighs) <sighs> okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay.
2: I think this is, you know, all of us are in this position where our job is to go out and be clear and crisp and reasoned and, like, we're columnists, we're not personal essayists, right? And I think it's a raw thing to confront the idea that you have to sort of fight for the right to love your country, Um to be allowed to be a patriot and be taken seriously as a patriot. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so I guess, yeah, we can go back to, you know, 9 11, as Jason said. But, uh, you know, I think that what was refreshing to me about the past few years before October 7th is that my Muslim identity didn't matter as much anymore. We had sort of moved beyond that era of being obsessed with the Middle East, of being obsessed with Muslims. And it's easy to forget it now, but you know, right after Trump became president, people were talking about us all the time because that was a time of the Muslim ban. And that's like a really weird thing to turn on the news and to constantly hear yourself as an object of other people's conversations even if you're criticizing Trump's Muslim ban you still have to talk about Muslims and you have to sort of in pushing back against Trump you would you would hear people saying well Muslims are nice and good they're not all bad but even that is a bit patronizing you
2: accept the you have to accept the framework to argue against the way the framework is exactly, being deployed exactly
1: yeah yeah exactly um and even post 9/11 even when people were saying oh the vast majority of Muslims are nonviolent. Again, that's like a very <laughs> weird kind of framing. Of course, the vast majority of us aren't violent. So you, you, it sort of goes to what? The what vast you...
2: majority of Jews are not actually killing Christian children for their blood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like...
0: um, with that, God bless America. <laughs> Thank you both. I think it's been a very um, illuminating conversation and I appreciate the opportunity
1: to to have some time with the two of you. Of course. Thanks, Jason, for having us.
0: Thanks for listening to K-Part. It's edited by Nick Roberts. We'll have new episodes for you every Thursday. I'm Jonathan k You can find me on Twitter at K-Part J.